Psalm 8. It's one of my personal favourites, actually. It's pretty short. It looks pretty unassuming, but it really deals with some massive questions. Questions like, who is God, actually? What does it mean for God to be God? Um, And who are we? What does it mean for us to be human? These are really big questions. They're not questions that we spend a lot of time thinking about. They don't really help us. For instance, getting the kids up and getting the kids to school or getting the chores done. They don't seem like very practical questions at some level, but they're very important, and the Bible spends a lot of time thinking about them, and that's what we're going to spend a bit of time doing today. So please pray with me as we start, and we'll read the psalm together. Uh, Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you that we can gather around tonight to explore this psalm that David wrote. Um, We just ask that you would guide us by your spirit, help us to understand um, and to take these things away into the week ahead. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn to Psalm 8. Psalm 8, for the directive music, according to the Gitta, that's the psalm of David. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the work of your hands and put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David begins by speaking directly to God as if he's having a conversation. Uh, and he starts by praising him. He says, O Lord, our Lord, speaking directly to him, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. You see, God's name is more majestic, more impressive than any other name on earth. Uh, more than any other name, God's name fills his people with wonder and with awe and delight. There's no other name that's like God's. Um, There's nothing else in the universe that is like him, that can compare to him. Nothing in majesty or glory, whether the highest mountain, the biggest ocean, nothing compares to him and his majesty. The whole universe belongs to him and it shows off his glory and that just fills David with awe in this poem. Um, God's name is the greatest name in the whole earth and his glory stretches over the heavens. Um, And here we come immediately to the first tension in this psalm. You see, when David considers this, when he considers God's majesty, he realizes that in comparison he is this tiny, puny little creature. He's nothing. He's like an insignificant speck. You see, uh, he keeps going at verse 3. Look, uh, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is mankind? that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. Can can you picture the experience that David is having here? He's out, maybe when he was still a shepherd, and most of us have probably had this kind of thing when we go camping. You're outside, you're away from the city lights, you look up at the stars, right, and there are 
countless numbers of them. It's an impressive sight. It's absolutely awe-inspiring. I've had some really wonderful experiences like this one. Uh, one of my favourites is from a road trip with a friend a few years ago. We were driving from Perth to Sydney. Um, we were in the middle of Australia somewhere. Uh, and we stopped at around dusk on the side of the road. Um, the horizon was flat in every direction. It didn't matter where you looked. There were no trees. We were on the Nullarbor. And this, it was just getting dark, so the sky was turning this lovely shade of purple. And it just appeared to be this enormous purple dome above us. We hopped out of the car and we were just amazed, um, really or sort of overwhelmed by the beauty around us and just the size and the magnitude of, of what we could see. We felt really, really tiny. Um, and this is kind of what David is picturing here. And he wants us to feel uncomfortable like he did. And he does that with some really wonderful imagery. If you look carefully at verse 3 again, um, you see something really, really cool. He says, When I consider the work of your fingers... Um, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place. The Bible often talks about God's hands. It uses that kind of imagery, but it never speaks about his fingers. <clears throat> it's like God has just weaved everything together, stitched the universe together, just so, put the stars, the planets, exactly where he wanted them. And it's an astonishing picture. He, David is overwhelmed by God's majesty. And in comparison... He is nothing. He's like a little speck, a tiny little creature. Uh, and he wrote this poem so that we would feel that. He wants us to feel uncomfortable. What is our place in this creation? Who are we? Why does God care for us? Uh, just for a bit of fun, I've got a comic for you. I hope you know Kelvin and Hobbes. Kelvin and Hobbes is wonderful. Can you all read that? This is the feeling that's been captured um, in this psalm, I think. We don't really like contemplating just how small and insignificant we are. We like to run away. It's, it's unsettling and a bit scary. But the thing, the thing about this psalm is that David's answer to the question is just as challenging and just as surprising. It's not really what you would expect. You see... He says that we are tiny creatures, but God has given us a glorious purpose. Have a look at uh, verse 5 and onward with me. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands, and you have put everything under their feet. All the flocks and the herds, all the animals, the, ones, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, everything that swims in the ocean... Some of that stuff is pretty scary when, when you get really deep. This is quite surprising. This is not really what you would expect, I think. And this isn't the picture that you get in so many kind of movies. Well, I'm sure you've seen this, um, those movies, Space Odyssey, whatever, where you have these tiny human beings overwhelmed by the enormity of space. And the, the ultimate point is that it's just kind of meaningless, right? They don't have much significance at all. But here... God has crowned us with glory and honour. He's made us like kings and queens over his creation. He invites us to share in his glory and honour and to rule over what he's made. That's really astonishing, friends. And again, there's some really wonderful imagery here. It, it, it pays to read this carefully. Look at verse 6. It says, You made them rulers over the works of your hands and you put everything under their feet. So everything that God has made, he's put under our feet. 
there's been a transfer. He has given us that authority uh, and that responsibility to care for his things. How does that make you feel? If you think about yourself for a moment, do you feel up for that? How do you feel about having that put on you, that kind of task, that responsibility? Do you think we do a good job? This psalm is meant to make us uncomfortable. It wants us to feel just how weak we are, how small and insignificant. But it makes us doubly uncomfortable um, because God has put everything around us under our feet. We're responsible for looking after it. Why would God do that? Why would God choose us and use us in that way? The reason that this is quite surprising is that God is so unlike us, I think. We learn something of God in this psalm. We learn and see that he's yeah, thoroughly unlike us. It shows us a different and unsettling side to God's character. You see, very often God shows his a very, very small. I mean, we get the big, powerful demonstrations of the big, the big demonstrations of power, right? Um, he created the universe out of nothing. That's impressive. That's astonishing. We understand that at an intuitive level. But God also chooses to act and show his majesty through things that are very, very small. And that's strange to us. We don't, we don't really look or think about power and strength in that way. I think the key to help us understand this in this, this poem is in, in a verse that I haven't said anything about yet. You may have noticed that I skipped over a verse. I haven't said anything about verse 2 yet. That's a bit deliberate. You can almost skip it and the psalm still makes sense, doesn't it? It's a bit of an odd verse. feels a bit out of place. But if we read it again, I think it really helps us. It says, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. What does that mean? It's, it's not straightforward, but the images, if we look at the images, they, we should be able to make some sense of it. The children here are very, very young in the original Hebrew, like toddlers or children that are still breastfeeding. And the image is supposed to bring to mind the smallest, most vulnerable human beings that there are. In contrast to them are the enemies of God. I don't think anyone in particular is... David doesn't have anyone particular in mind in this verse. That It's more the sense of all the enemies, all the forces, any person who is opposed to God in creation. And so God uses the simple praise, the babbling of a little infant, that little blah, 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 blah babbling, to stop and silence all the posturing of his enemies. That's God's choice. It's through the praise of infants, it says, that you have shown your strength. He chooses to act and show his strength through someone who is very small and very weak. The power is God's. It always belongs to him and the majesty and glory is always his. But he shows it through very humble means. And that's really challenging for us, I think. Because that's not, again, like I said, that's not really how we think or respond to strength and power. Like if you think, just think for a moment, who are some really powerful people that you know of? They might be alive or might be from history. Who are some really powerful people? Any thoughts? 
Caesar? How did he show his strength and his power and his might? Yeah. Like so many of these powerful people that we think of show their might through really big acts, aggressive kind of acts of really momentous acts of strength. So they crush their enemies, for instance, with overwhelming force. Caesar is a great example. And God has that kind of power, and he shows his power in that way, but not always. Very often, it's through something small. And it really, I think this psalm really challenges us to reflect on that carefully, how we think about power and how we think about who he is and what he, what he is like. Um, and this idea is picked up in really profound ways, for instance, in Philippians 2, if you want to read that at home later. Um, it would be great to read Philippians 2 or 1 Corinthians 1. The New Testament picks up on this idea. It's really quite astonishing, I think. We, this psalm shows us something about God which we don't always appreciate. Now, everything I've said so far sounds really nice in some ways. God, almighty God, creator of the universe, uses these little weak human beings like us in his creative purposes. It sounds nice, but it doesn't sound very real, I don't think. You see, when I look around at people... I see people, and I don't mean any of you in particular, just in general, I see people who abuse their power and authority. They hurt the people that they're supposed to care for. I see people who exploit uh, each other out of greed. I see waste and neglect. It's not this picture of good godly stewardship that Psalm 8 has. Um, It's people are not fulfilling this purpose that God has made us for. Um, And each one of us feels that in our own life sometimes. We have our individual sins that we really struggle with. Some of them we want to especially keep hidden and secret. We all have those sorts of things with us, um, and we all have periods in our life where we don't feel like we have a clear purpose or a clear reason for for doing what we're doing. Perhaps our job seems pretty meaningless, um, or our talents are being wasted. We don't often feel that we have a glorious purpose, I think. Sometimes we meander through life a bit lost, a bit confused. Um, I don't see humanity conducting itself as if it was crowned with glory and honour and looking after creation in the way that God meant for it to do. The reason for that is that I'm sure, I'm sure you all know. If, we, if you know something about the Bible, you'll know about a guy called Adam at the very beginning. He was the very first person that God made, Adam and Eve. And this is the purpose that God gave to Adam, essentially. Um, but as you know, Adam and all humanity with him walked away from God's purpose. They said, no, thank you. We know better than that. Um, we'll make this up on our, on our own. Um, Humanity has walked away from God. We've rejected God's glorious purpose. And every one of us here, even the Christians, even me, we say at time, sometimes we say to God, no, uh, I don't like what you say. Um, I'm not going to listen to you, God. Um, I do that whenever I disobey him. And everyone here does that. We're all guilty of this. And that's just a disaster, friends. 
And it's, it's, it's a disaster, a complete disaster. And that's why when we look around at the world around us, we don't see anything like this psalm. The world around us and the, the humanity pictured in this psalm, they don't fit, they don't match up. There's something really, really wrong. We don't see this goodness around us. And that leads to the question, I think, then, is there anything good that we can see? Or is this psalm a bit of a waste of time, just a kind of nice dream? It's not, thankfully, but we have to go to the New Testament to find out how, how this has been fixed. So if you have your Bible open, it would be great to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. The author of Hebrews quotes this psalm. He, he's reflecting on the same things that we are thinking about tonight. And the fact that um, humanity around us... <clears throat> doesn't do and isn't the way that God intended for humanity to be. And this is what he says in Hebrews 2, verse 6. He quotes the psalm, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them... God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Do you see how the author applies Psalm 8 to Jesus? A lot of the language is there made a little bit lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour. That's all stuff from Psalm 8. We don't see God's good order around us in the world, but we do see Jesus. And what he's basically saying is that the only only person who matches up to what we see in Psalm 8 is Jesus Christ. If you want to know what humanity is, or sorry, if you want to know what humanity should be like, the way God intended it, Jesus is the only one you can look to. Don't look at me or any preacher. Don't look at anyone around you on this earth, not even your Mother Teresa's or um, the Anzacs, even if their sacrifices were wonderful. That is not what God intended for humanity. That's 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 not it. God intended much, much more for us. The only way, the only person we will see that in is Jesus Christ. He's the only one to fulfill God's purposes for humanity perfectly. And this is especially true in his death. And at his death, you see that this, this whole idea in Psalm 8 is brought, brought, to, brought together. This, the, the meanness and the nastiness and the awfulness of his death. It was a horrible and shameful and painful and humiliating crucifixion. But it was at that moment that Jesus reconciled us to God. Think of Psalm 8. God acts through small human beings to rule over his creation. He shows his majesty and glory through something very small. And in Jesus' death, we see that exact thing. The Jews and the Romans thought that was a despicable thing for someone to be crucified. And yet there, God was showing his glory and his majesty and his love for the world. God does not 
act and show his strength and glory in the way that us humans expect. Uh, And that could be a real stumbling block for many people. And it was in Jesus' time. What happened next, once Jesus died? God raised him from the dead. And if we use the the words of Psalm 8, he was crowned with glory and honour. Think back to the beginning of Psalm 8. It goes, and the end. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. I think with with the coming of Jesus, we can say these words about him now. You see, God has made Jesus' name greater than every other name on earth. And Jesus' glory stretches far above the heavens. He is the perfect human, and one day he will also be acknowledged as God by everyone here. God has shared his glory with his son for everyone to see. And if we trust him and follow him, Jesus promises that he will transform us into that humanity that God intended. Psalm 8 is a wonderful psalm, friends. Um, It reminds us that we are weak and puny creatures. That's uh, without, without a doubt. But if we follow Jesus, we are weak creatures with a glorious hope and that's a wonderful thing to take with us Uh, so please pray with me father in heaven we thank you that you have shown us um, your intentions for human beings in the lord jesus we know that we fail spectacularly in adam we walked away from your good purposes Um, but we thank you that you have made jesus christ uh, the one to bring us back. Um, You have sent him to show us what humanity should be um, and you have given him, yeah, he has the power to transform us and renew humanity in all creation uh, one day. We look forward to that day when sin and pain and crying will be done away with and we pray eagerly that that time will come quickly uh, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.